We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Sons podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how you doing? I'm doing good. I think we are slowly trying to reset our schedule here. So yeah. if you are listening to this in the middle of the week, which I'm sure you are, then uh, or at least most of you are, then I'm sorry to if we're freaking you out a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> the JJ episode, uh, which people are still listening to, by the way, the JJ episode last week kind of threw things off. I think it was worth it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now we're trying to like slowly work our way back towards an early. So like by next week, by next week, we'll release uh, on, on a, a normal Monday. schedule. Yeah. On a, yeah. On a normal schedule. But but for now, we figured it had been long enough. Mm hmm. We're back on the mics to discuss uh, mainly, I guess, the last three games, but yeah. also just we, we kind of missed a lot. Yeah. I mean, the the last time we recorded just you and I was before All-Star Weekend, and then we took time off for All-Star Break as well. Of course, we came back with that episode with JJ Redick, which if you haven't listened to, of course, go back and listen to it. I assume if you're listening to this one, you probably <laughs> listened to that one. It's a good uh, assumption there. Uh, but yeah, that means that you and I really haven't had a chance to discuss whether it be All-Star Weekend, uh, Chris Paul's injury, or anything like that. Now, of course, we have three games of what's happened since then. Suns are officially on a losing streak for the first time in a long time with two games lost in a row. And I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. But that Chris Paul injury, I think that is the main thing, six to eight weeks <laughs> we briefly touched on it in the J.J. Redick episode. It super sucks. <laughs> it just sucks. I mean, this might be the only way to get Chris Paul to rest his legs before the playoffs, though, I guess, if you want to find the bright side of all this. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to be honest. It feels a little bit silly to to be talking about that stuff now um, because it feels like such old news in the news cycle uh, in, in any case. But we have to cover it because we haven't covered it. Um, for Chris, obviously it super sucks. Uh, I think most Suns fans are in the acceptance stage now, yeah. well into that stage right. at this point. Now that we've seen three games of point book at the helm, um, I hope that you're not panicking out there. We'll talk about those actual three games in a little bit. If you are panicking, you shouldn't be, and I guess we'll explain why in a few minutes. But... With regard to Chris, yeah, like you said, it's the only way to get him to rest for a little while. Knowing the competitor that he is, I feel very confident. Um, And also judging from his demeanor at All-Star Weekend, where he was kind of just like he was smiling, he was enjoying the 75th ceremony, but you didn't sense in him and you didn't sense in any of the other members of the Suns organization who were present in Cleveland on All-Star Weekend any hint of panic in them. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, this is a guy, he's going to be back yeah. for the first round of the playoffs. I would be shocked. I would be so shocked if he wasn't. Yeah. I know people said six to eight weeks, and I know that at the time when he got injured, it was like technically seven weeks out from that first round series, but I would honestly be very shocked. So now it's just about how can you um, 
tread water yeah. without him. That's how I've described it on Twitter a couple of times. Honestly, I think all you need to do is play 500 basketball from here on out. Anything else is a bonus. If you can prove you're a better basketball team than that, by all means, please do, because that would be great. But as long as you play 500 basketball, uh, I, I, I really find it hard to believe, especially with Golden State playing the way they are right now, that this team would lose their first seed in the Western Conference. Well, since we mentioned All-Star Weekend just now, I have to briefly touch on my conspiracy that I mentioned yeah, sure. on our last playback episode about All-Star Weekend. And the conspiracy basically is this. Are the Suns using Monty Williams to try to recruit players to the Phoenix Suns in the future? Because when Devin Booker and Chris Paul were asked before All-Star Weekend about whether or not they cared about being an All-Star starter, they both said all they really cared about was making sure that Monty Williams was there representing the Suns at All-Star Weekend. And then Monty Williams goes and does represent the Suns, coaches Team LeBron after All-Star Weekend. Nikola Jokic was asked about his main impression from All-Star Weekend and the thing that stuck with him the most was Monty Williams. He said Monty Williams cared about him as a person, as a basketball player, and made the longest-lasting impression on him. So, looking forward, the Phoenix Suns of the future, right? Maybe they want to trade for another star at some point in the future as Chris Paul starts to age. Maybe they didn't want to trade a first-round pick for Eric Gordon, even though they had essentially traded one for Torrey Craig in Jalen Smith and for Landry Shamit, along with Javon Carter. But all of a sudden, they don't want to trade a first-round pick for Eric Gordon. Maybe they're holding on to their first-round picks to potentially make a trade for a star player in the future. All of this, I think, came to me at some point during All-Star Weekend. Of course, I had no <laughs> chance to talk about it. <laughs> during the JJ Reddick podcast, because he would have told no. me I'm fucking crazy, but <laughs> and, and it would have mention. been it would have been irrelevant. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, we looked at ultimately what I did afterwards is I looked at Team LeBron. I looked at all the players on Team LeBron, and I thought to myself, "There's no, there's really no great options here <laughs> to recruit anyway. These guys, unless it's LeBron, that's really the only option there who might actually be available. Who knows? He's he's in control of his own destiny." Uh, but yeah, do you think Monty Williams was re recruiting for the Phoenix Suns at All-Star Weekend, Sam? I think that's a strong word um, be because that implies some sort of, you know, collusion. illicit activities going on. <laughs> yes, collusion. Uh, what I can say is networking is a powerful tool and it never hurts to have as many representatives from the organization in that space as possible. So I'm not going to say guaranteed that, you know, nothing went down, but I, you know, I don't think it was like, like Jokic, for instance, Jokic complimenting Monty Williams strikes me just as Jokic got to learn more about Monty Williams at that particular weekend and found out, right. you know, how good of a person, like he was just genuinely complimenting Monty Williams, which I don't think yeah. Nikola Jokic is going to be leaving Denver anytime soon. It does say um, a lot though, considering the Suns were the team that knocked them out of the playoffs last year. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know you saw those clips of like Monty running through his plays with the team in the, yeah. in the morning shoot around or practice before the game, and it's just like it's really cool, man. I mean, to echo back something that JJ said in our last episode is, I was really happy when he gave his answer saying that Monty is a good person, but also that he said Monty is such a so he he's a master of the details. Yeah. I don't remember exactly how he put it. But, detail oriented, uh, yeah. Detail oriented. Thank you. That was the adjective. That he's a detail oriented coach and I feel like that's something that Monty doesn't get enough credit for is being a detail oriented right. coach. Um obviously it's important to go get 70 80% of the way there towards connecting with a player, caring about that player as a human being. Um but at the end of the day these guys also want to win basketball games and so sensing that a coach uh has his presence there and really cares that much about winning the basketball game and wants to put you in the best positions to succeed. It's just good to, to have some of that rub off on maybe some other guys and yeah. you never know. Yeah. No promises. And not to mention, by the way, Mike, any, any sort of move and obviously everyone knows this, any sort of move comes with sacrifice. Yeah, of course you wouldn't, you wouldn't add, you don't add without subtracting. Let's right. just put it that way. But, uh, who's the Harrison not, Barnes of our team is what you're saying, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that and we gets know, turned we, into the Durant. We all know the candidates, right? So right. I'm not going to go there on this episode because right. I don't feel like I don't feel like it. But uh, but I, I'm never going to say never, right? That's that's all. <laughs> yeah, something that you said that stuck with me when we were talking about this was that Monty Williams 
is such a good person and leaves such a lasting impression on people that oftentimes the fact that he's also a brilliant basketball mind is not at the forefront of conversations. And I think, yeah, maybe these guys knew that he was a good person already. And I think that's the story on Monty in a lot of ways. And also so many players have interacted with him in his time in the NBA that I'm sure he has a great reputation. But yeah, being the guy who's running his uh, players at All-Star Weekend through drills and then running plays in yeah, the All-Star Yeah, that's game. exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think... Human brains yeah. are ve- we're very bad as a community, not just in basketball, but I guess just human beings, at recognizing two things being good at once. Right. Uh, and and when, it, you know, when it comes to narratives that we build for these players, for these coaches, what have you, we, we focus on one thing and yeah. don't acknowledge enough when, when another aspect of their personality or game, what have you, is, uh, is elite. So, yeah, Monty deserves his flowers for being a good X's and O's coach, not mm-hmm. just a good person, which obviously it's great that he's a good person, but he's also a really fucking good coach. Yeah. I hope he wins coach of the year this year. Uh, anyway, that's my spiel there. Well, he's got a, he's got a handful for the rest, at least the upcoming few games, because the Suns have a distinct problem when Devin Booker is not on the court, as we've seen in the last three games that have happened since Chris Paul was ruled out, essentially, for the rest of the regular season. And, you know, and, and what I mean by that is, so far, the starting lineups and most of the lineups with Devin Booker on the floor have been pretty good. In fact, I would say that the starting lineup, the one specifically with Point Book and Wings, along with DeAndre Ayton, has been kind of killing teams so far. But then what do you do, right? Even <laughs> even when just one of those guys comes out, even just one of yeah. them, maybe you can survive with Torrey Craig, but all of a sudden no one's guarding Torrey Craig and he can't hit a three, right? 1.11 rebounds or whatever he had in that one game. <laughs> it's a tough thing to try and figure out. And, you know... Let's just quickly just talk about the good parts first, and then we'll kind of get into what I think they could work on. And actually, more than anything else, uh, the question for me is, is there a solution before other guys get back? I'm not sure that there is. Mm -hmm. But in the three games that have been played since Chris Paul went out, Devin Booker is averaging 28 points, which is pretty wild, eight assists, and five rebounds. 28, eight, and five that scoring is, I think, top 10 in those games or something like that. And the assists is like top 15 in those games. So Devin Booker's up there. Extremely high usage when he's playing. Not a lot of easy shots are being taken by Devin Booker, even though I will say those 28 points have come on 28, I'm sorry, 21 field goal attempts per game, meaning that he's Still not efficient. forcing it efficient. Yeah. And in fact, there was a stretch there post Toronto Raptors mascot where he was basically averaging 24 and a half to 25 field goal attempts per game for an extended period. So this is actually less than that, but that's partially because he's now finding himself in the role of point guard, which forces him to find other guys in other situations. And so far I would say that he has been great to be honest. And the turnovers have been relatively high at 3.7, but Considering the amount of time that he is spending with the ball in his hands, that could be less, but I don't think it's any surprise being that these are configurations that Monty Williams has almost never ran (laughs) because he tends to not let Devin Booker run point book. But what have you thought of Devin Booker so far? Yeah, he's look, he's been good. He's doing his best at improvising in the role. At the same time, if you ask book himself, he did a really good interview recently with Malika Andrews where he was asked what it was like playing without Chris Paul. I think at the time, maybe he had only just played that first game against OKC um, because that interview is a few days old. And he said, I I realized that I really miss, or or maybe she was asking about the playoffs. Mm -hmm. can't even remember anymore. But he said he realized that he really missed misses Chris when he's yeah. not there on the he court said, he because, said I like it more when he plays <laughs> yeah I mean you know and he was laughing about it but it's it's pretty clear that this team's offense is at its best and kind of the entire concept around the system is predicated on this idea of being trap proof uh give yourself two really really elite guards uh and you can make your offense trap proof give yourself only one and you open yourself up to the same weaknesses that we see from teams like Atlanta with Trey Young, yeah. uh Dallas with Luka Doncic, OKC, you know, any yeah. OKC, 
any of these heliocentric systems that, you know, maybe in some cases are by design heliocentric, in other cases just haven't had a chance to put enough talent in their backcourts. And so you lead to guys who who struggle against really aggressive defensive coverages. For the record, I think Book has done his best, but I think it's clear what every team that the Suns have played in the past week are trying to do uh, against him. To demonstrate that, so far in the last three games, um, Booker is averaging 9.7 potential assists per game. A potential mm-hmm. assist right. is exactly what it sounds like. It is the idea of just any shot that goes up following a pass from uh, insert X player here. Um, and just, you know, so you can see if those teammates made 100% of their shots, that's how many assists you would get. He's averaging 9.7 potential assists over the past week. That is up from his average on the season of 8.1. So it's slightly up. It is nowhere near Chris Paul's league-leading 19 potential assists per <laughs> wow. game on the season. That's and, crazy. you know, as we talk about that specifically, there's a few reasons behind that. I think some of it has to do with very specific tandems like a Devin, and we should really talk about this, a Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton pairing looks much different than a Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton pairing. Yeah. Uh, it just does. Yeah. But the other half of that equation, uh, the difference between 9.7 potential assists and 19 when one is literally half of the other is also just the fact that defenses are forcing Booker to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible. And at that point, it's up to Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson or Mikhail Bridges to take the initiative and try to make the right play. But it's out of Booker's hands at that point, and he's not trying to force offense, exactly like you said. If they're going to double, he's going to trust in his role players to be able to take advantage uh, of weaknesses in the defense and and kind of create their own offensive advantages. And if they can't do that, then the Suns' half-court offense will struggle, and ultimately they're going to struggle to win games. So, you know, to answer your question in this really long (laughs) roundabout way, I think he's doing well. I think the stats show it. But there's only so much he can do uh, under this current system. It's just, you know, it's a team sport, man. And that's really all there is to it. I kind of feel like we've teleported back to 2017 or 2018 in some sense. Not because I think the Suns are going to be nearly as bad as they were back then, but just because Devin Booker put up um, really great numbers this week, but the Suns went one and two. And so people around the league are going to look at it and they're going to say, did it even matter? Uh, Did it even help? You know, stupid questions like that unfortunately yeah. i mean I, I honestly i i truthfully think that everything kind of works and kind of makes sense when the starting lineup of devin booker mikhail bridges cameron johnson jay crowder deandre and are on the floor and i think the plus minuses show that like the deandre and plus minus in that time is plus eight jay crowder plus seven it just kind of makes sense but even when you start taking even one of those guys out and if there's a single player on the floor that let's just say you don't really have to guard as much that makes the trouble for Devin Booker so much more and truthfully if you if you really try to boil down the issues with the two losses in the last three games it's not really the time with Devin Booker (laughs) off the court it's the time with other guys on the court JaVale McGee minus eight in that time Landry Shamit minus four Alfred Payton minus eight you know I don't know if I'm gonna get five I don't know if I'm going to get another... um, We'll go back to Booker in a second. I just don't know if I'm going to get another chance to rant about this. So real quick, can we talk about what happened in that Jazz game with JaVale? Yeah, sure. Did did it bother you? I'll frame it as a question. Did it bother you as much as it bothered me? Because I tweeted about it, but I don't remember if you commented on it it publicly. Did it bother you as much as it bothered me that they never went away from JaVale? They never tried small ball. They they didn't try Biombo. They just went with a formula that obviously was not working. And, of course, they ended up losing the game. Yeah. Not entirely because of that, mind no, you. but I mean, those minutes it were felt very like, bad, yeah. Minus it 20, felt like think, a yeah. huge piece of it. Yeah. yeah. So wh- what did you think about that? I don't – see, I guess, I guess part of me does not – what I'll say is this. With Monty Williams and these guys in this specific scenario where there are other options, but the options are extremely limited compared to when the entire team is healthy – I think that for an individual game, allowing a player a chance to try and figure it out on his own is valuable enough. Now, if that were to happen game after game after game and it continually becomes a problem, I think at that point, maybe you could start being a little more critical, at least from my perspective. But for an individual game, it clearly wasn't working early on with JaVale McGee. But I think for Monty Williams 
trying not to crush a guy's confidence in an, in an individual game. I think that there is an element of Monty as a former player himself, understanding how to deal with these guys egos or whatever you want to call it that maybe I don't fully understand. And I think, yeah, they lost the game and I think we're, we'll talk about it in a second, I think, but they can probably afford to lose a few here and still end up being sure. yeah. at the top of the conference. And uh, from that perspective, I guess it did bother me because I think it just clearly made sense, you know, but there's a chance they put Biombo in and they have all the same problems, truthfully. Like, For sure. And, you know, going yeah. small, maybe at that point, Hassan Whiteside starts killing you on the offensive boards. And, you know, there's an, another problem there. Uh, Every, there. There was no obvious solution because there's just not enough good players available. Yeah, I mean, look, everything's a calculation. There's a risk in anything. But I, I'll just put it like this. The Suns have one more game against Utah. It's the second to last game of the season, April yeah. 8th. Yeah. And it's going to be a date that I'm circling uh, on the calendar. A, because I hope we finally get a fully healthy <laughs> matchup between these two teams because we haven't had one yet. But also, given that this is a very realistic possible second-round matchup for the Suns, who knows, possibly even a Western Conference Finals matchup. I'm not going to yeah. write them off completely. Uh, this is the team that struggles with small ball. Like, that's mm. the entire thing that they're known for in the NBA community right now. I would like to see a few minutes of it just to just to give us that confidence, build, build that momentum towards something. Yeah. I believe that it's there, but I would like to see it. And even if you didn't go fully small, just, you know, the, the basic concept of swapping out JaVale for Bismack when JaVale doesn't have it, I don't. I, I think that would have been a good move. But look, it's one game. I'm not going to stress too much over one game. I will just point out there's one more game between these two teams, and I will be looking for that in the future for sure. What I wonder at this point is if the remaining games... Look, I think that all of this could change when Cameron Payne is back, by the way. I know there was an an initial report, I think it was by Gambo, that said that Cameron Payne could be back or would be back after All-Star break. Clearly, that's not happening. Um, now, when he comes back, is still kind of up in the air. The most recent report, which is right before we started recording this, was that he was doing some 3-on-3 three three and 4-on-4 four four drills and particip- was a full participant in a light contact practice today, today being Tuesday. Um, that to me sounds like he's probably not going to be available for the game on Wednesday. Maybe he's back for the game against, I believe it's the Knicks on Friday. I mean, that's a possibility. Uh, so we'll see what happens there, but I think a lot of it will change when Cameron Payne is back, but Cameron Payne will start according to Monty Williams. Once he's back, Cameron Johnson will then shift back to the bench, which we'll talk about him in just a second. But what happened in the new Orleans Pelicans game, Willie green, former Suns coach coaching against the Suns. They were the most aggressively trapping Devin Booker of any of the three games that we've seen so far, and I think it really worked. Now, they won, obviously, and one of the main reasons they won, I think, is that they the Suns couldn't defend them. <laughs> that was the main issue, and they've been playing really well lately. But with that aggressive trapping, that's resulted in Mikael Bridges in the three games that we've seen so far averaging four assists, Cameron Johnson averaging 3.7 assists in those three games, even even Jay Crowder, 3.3 mm-hmm. assists. So these assist numbers have been going up by the wings, and so much of that is forcing the ball out of Devin Booker's hands. And the players that are on the floor, the smart ones, the starters, the ones that will get minutes once the team is healthy, are capable of moving the ball extremely fast and finding shooters but once any of those guys goes out, Torrey Craig's on the floor, Alfred Payton's on the floor, Landry Shamit's on the floor, uh, sad, sad to say, that sort of falls apart because all of those players are not threats to drive, score, or pass immediately when touching the ball the way that the starting lineup is. So, you know, I'm curious to see if other teams will be as aggressive as the Pelicans were with trapping Devin Booker. And I'm not sure how the Suns adjust with bench lineups. And what do you think? Are we talking about before campaign comes back, just to be clear? Or? Yeah, let's say campaign's out for a few more games, which he might be. I mean, with campaign, yeah, no, everything falls that. into place a little better. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't perfectly fall into place, but I think we've seen a lot of evidence in the past of Cam playing alongside Booker, and because you're confident that he can he can make catch-and-shoot threes, right? Which not... Alfred Payton cannot make catch-and-shoot threes, let's put it that way. So with Cam's yeah. ability to A, make catch-and-shoot threes so he doesn't hurt your spacing, but B, also finish at the rim, that works a lot better. It, until he comes back, man, yes, teams are going to continue to trap Devin Booker. 
because it's, let's just be honest, it's the obvious thing to do. If you have the choice between Devin Booker, who basically everyone knows is, is one of the better playmakers in the league and certainly knows is one of the best three-way scorers in the league versus saying, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna force Jay Crowder to hit floaters tonight or, you know, I'm going to force Cam Johnson to, to put his kind of newfound skills to the test yeah. in terms of self-creation. No one believes in those guys. Yeah. We believe in those guys to an extent and... You know, we've highlighted the the sort of tools that they're adding, but there's still relatively new developments in, in those guys' games when, when we're talking about Mikhail, when we're talking about Cam and Jay. Um, so, yeah, I expect Devin Booker to see a lot of traps. I mean, yeah. there's just there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and obviously, look, we try we try not to pick on these guys too much. Uh, but Peyton has not helped. No. Yeah. Shamit in the last game. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Aaron Holiday came back after he was out. And so Aaron Holiday came back against Utah and Landry Shamit played, but he only played like 11 minutes. And Aaron Holiday actually ate up way more of the guard minutes off the bench, which for a guy whose entire Phoenix Suns tenure has consisted of five games, I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, and we, uh, look, I don't want to pile on him right now, but Torrey Craig's one for 11 from three. <laughs> in those yeah. three games clearly that's going to get better some um, regression will come from that yeah. yeah but i mean he's i've said for like i've said all along i don't think tory craig is actually the 40 percent three-point shooter he was yeah but he's not a nine second <laughs> in the second half of last season shooter, yeah. no but he's not nine percent either <laughs> yeah. and, or and a really 7% all it is field goal percentage by the way one for 14 total in those games just a real bad yeah. bad stretch by tory craig at the worst possible time truthfully he hits 30 to 40% of those threes in that time. The Suns might, at the very least, they probably wouldn't beat New Orleans, but I think they would have had a chance to beat Utah if if yeah. Torrey Craig could just hit those shots and wide he's open just gotta hit, often. He's just got to hit the corners, man. Like, he doesn't have to be a relocation shooter who lifts to the wing or anything. We know that's not his game. Yeah. But he just needs to make those corner shots. There were some possessions. I forget now if it was against New Orleans or against Utah, but just watching the Suns, with Devin Booker on the floor at the top of the key, but then they're putting next to him, Alfred Payton is in one corner, yeah. and Torrey Craig is in the opposite corner. Right. And it's just, I'm just face palming because I'm like, this, well, and you know, this you, doesn't work. You bring up a good point, too, because I think, you know, we talked about how they're trapping on Devin Booker. The other thing they're doing is if he does get screened and he's facing a little bit of space towards the rim, the court is immediately shrinking. And by that, I mean they are packing the paint against Devin Booker because Devin Booker is a threat to get to the rim and score. And that often means swinging the ball to the outside, whether it be skip passes to the weak side to find shooters or like just a quick pass to someone that's on the strong side close and then they're swinging it to the weak side. And um, that makes it tough for Devin Booker to get easy shots at the rim. And that also makes the lob pass to DeAndre incredibly tough, and not to mention the lack of spacing for any other types of pass to DeAndre. But let, actually, yep. you know what? Let's take a quick break, and let's talk about Aiton. And I still want to talk a little bit more about Cameron Johnson and Mikael Bridges because there's some yes. cool stuff happening yep. with both of them. So let's, uh, let's take a quick break right now, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Sam, I have a DeAndre Ayton stat for you because DeAndre Ayton, let me just say this, 16, he, his production overall, I would say, hasn't, if you just look at this, the stats, I would say that it hasn't dramatically changed. 16.3 points per game on 10.7 field goal attempts. Those are essentially what he's been doing all season. His field goal percentage in the three games we've seen so far, 71.9% from the field, which is pretty insane. But here's the stat that I wanted to get to. In his 33 attempts in the last three games, 11 attempts were in the restricted area. That's only 33% of his overall attempts in the restricted area in the offense. Pretty insane. Since Chris Paul. Yeah, since Chris Paul left. So a couple things I'll say on that. Credit to DeAndre for finding ways to continue to be efficient without getting shots at the rim. But also, this team, this Suns team, without any real point guards, and even Aaron Holiday when he plays is often not really on the court at the same time as DeAndre Ayton. This team is not finding ways to get DeAndre Ayton open at the rim, and it's going to be tough until Cameron Payne or Chris Paul comes back. So although I will say... He's doing fine right now, scoring 16 points a game. I think that there's a case to be made that these shots are not going to fall the way they are right now. And Mm -hmm. he's got to find ways, along with the coaching staff and the rest of the players, to get him more shots close to the room. What do you think about that stat? Yeah, I I thought all along, first of all, that stat, just to address it, is crazy. Um, Because on the season, do you happen to have on the season what percent of his attempts are in the restricted area? It's a lot more. (laughs) It's a lot more. I'm not sure exactly yet. It's like a super majority, though. Yeah. Like, it's a lot. Um, I, I, I have to admit, I was a little perplexed because I saw some tweets being shared. And this, this is always what it is, right? It's when you spend too much time on social media. But I saw some tweets being shared at the time when Chris Paul went down of who's going to step up. Basically, everyone was talking about the same thing. Who's going to step up? Who's going to shoulder the load? Who's going to take the second most shots on this team after Devin Booker? And I did notice a lot of people seeing DeAndre Ayton, and I understand the temptation, but like, where from where I'm standing, it was always going to be tough to get Ayton the ball without Chris Paul. It's just not going to be easy if you think about the way he plays, and it's for a couple of reasons. You already outlined the fact that they're getting him fewer shots at the rim. Obviously, trapping Booker uh, defensively has a lot to do with that. Uh, even when Booker can get it to a guy who's, say, flashing, like a Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson type, it's still not guaranteed that you're going to be able to get DeAndre the ball at the rim. The other part of it is sometimes they try to get Aiton the ball on the move in the pick and roll, but it's through these quick bounce passes that uh, this is a little bit more Aiton's fault than the guard's fault. We know he has struggle, uh, he has trouble handling, right? So he's really, really good as a lob threat. He's less good at a guy who can catch bounce passes on the move. We've known that for three plus years. So if that's the main way you're targeting this guy, it's just going to be difficult. Similarly, another consequence of, of trapping Booker, at least showing him high, is that you're not going to get these opportunities like you do three, four, five times a game with Chris Paul, where he just easily snakes a pick and roll because there's not that same level of defensive pressure applied. And now once he gets to the elbow, he can settle in at the elbow. He can see that Aiton is right there, four or five feet in front of him, sealing a smaller defender or, or, or even the center, um, but sealing regardless, and just do a little dump off pass. And, and we know that's easy money for Aiton. Those opportunities don't come as easily now because right. Devin Booker right. can't get to the same spots on the court. He just can't. He's... The gravity that existed with uh, the, the balance is broken, essentially. Yeah. That existed when yeah. Chris Paul and Devin Booker were both on the floor. Yeah. And it's just not there anymore. Exactly. It's not so, just Chris Paul being on the ball. It's also Devin Booker being off the ball. Right. Like, the That's defense is stretched to like yeah. the extreme level that allows other players to get open. Yeah. So what can he do now? He yeah. can take more steps in the short roll. Yeah. We've seen... It increasingly this season. I think there was a really good example of it in 
I want to say the Utah game, maybe yeah. the New Orleans game. He opened up one, again. I forget these. I don't have the same memory you I think do. It was when Utah, it comes yeah. to like recalling specific plays, but <laughs> there was one of those games where he opened up with just a really strong move to the basket in the short roll, dunked it first play of the game, and yeah. like fucking awesome. If you and can won, do that, I believe, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's how you generate your own offense, man. Fuck a point guard at that point. You just got <laughs> sometimes you got to do it yourself. Um, but everything else that makes Aiton so good, he's just gonna get a little bit less of yeah. right now. He just mm-hmm. is, and and maybe the way to counteract that, and this doesn't just apply to Aiton, but it applies to everyone, is let your defense create your offense in the first place. Yes, in the absolutely. in the one game in the one game the Suns won this week, they beat OKC by twenty. They had 14 steals. Devin Booker was, uh, that was the sixth steal game from Devin Booker, a career high. But it wasn't just him. Jay Crowder has been seemingly insanely active when it comes to deflections this week. Mikhail Bridges is always active when it comes to deflections. There are going to be games where that strategy works for you. And there are going to be games where it doesn't. And they're bigger the starting lineup too now. So yeah. For sure. And the games where it does work, where you can get 14 steals against a team like OKC, this team's half-court offense is good. Without Chris Paul, they st- they truly are still good. But the only way you're going to get the elite offensive performances from the Suns like we're kind of used to is if you augment that with a really good transition game. And the only way you're going to have a really good transition game is if you can generate the havoc, the typical level of havoc that we're used to seeing out of the Phoenix yeah, Suns, the yeah. 2022 Phoenix Suns on the defensive end. That's going to be the difference in result between a game against OKC and a game like we saw where they kind of fucking sucked uh, against New Orleans, yeah. you know. So it's and and, and that's going to benefit Aiton, obviously, but it's also going to benefit a guy like Mikael Bridges, who's been kind of yes, quiet 100%. offensively in the past two games. Yeah, I th- well, truthfully, I I mean, what's been amazing in this stretch is that Chris Paul will honestly get every single guy on the floor with him easier shots when he's on the floor. That's really what it boils down to. That means Devin Booker gets easier shots when Chris Paul's on the floor. DeAndre Ayton gets easier shots. Mikael Bridges gets easier shots. Cameron Johnson, who we'll talk about in a second, also gets easier shots, but somehow this has not affected him in any way, which I think we will get into in just a second here. But I think for DeAndre Ayton, what I think has been interesting, at least for the last two games, after the initial game in OKC, which I think he had seven points in, what the Suns have clearly realized and what's been coached is what I, I what I would expect has been coached is what I'll say is that when DeAndre Ayton's open, he's going to shoot now. And that's sort of regardless of where he is on the floor. And I think that's a smart strategy without Chris Paul in because when Chris Paul's in, if it's just kind of a good shot, well, give it back to Chris Paul, run another screen, they'll get a better shot. When Chris Paul's not in, if it's kind of a good shot on any individual possession, it might be the best you're going to get on that possession because there's just not enough other guys capable of creating out of nothing the way that both Devin Booker and Chris Paul can. And when there's only one on the floor, you can just trap and force other guys to do that. And that means, you know, that could mean more. First of all, it could be more three-point attempts, which you've seen him make a three or two in these games. But it also could mean more shots that are further away from the basket by DeAndre Ayton. And I hope what happens is as he continues to take these shots, he understands when players are closing out on him in a way that he could leverage against them, whether that be getting fouled or trying to get to the rim, or at the very least, one or two dribbles to create for somebody else because he's pretty capable of passing from the inside out. So I I don't know, it's... I think what's going to happen is we're going to see more mid-range shots. I think that's what's going to happen because it's tougher to get him shots closer to the rim. And he might be one of the more efficient guys in that mid-range, even if it drops from 64%. Essentially, what he's shooting at the rim is what he shot from mid-range in the last 10 games or so. If it drops from that to 50% or 45%, it's still relatively efficient for the Suns offense as a whole. And I think he's going to continue taking that. But I just hope and the th- that doesn't become a habit, I guess. The threes? And yeah. the threes? Yeah. Best of his career. His best percentage of his career so far. Yeah. Well, after hitting two in a row, it's a really small sample size. But, you know, <laughs> 30, if we what, continue to see. Or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have it up, but four for 11. Yeah. Um, I think that's 36% off the top of my head. I, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to continue to take one of those a game, basically. Yeah. Kind of right? fun, I think, right? <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's a, if, if it goes in, it's a fun quirk. Yeah. If it doesn't, then people are going to complain about it, I think. <laughs> if it doesn't, one a game is not terrible. There. As long yeah. as it's not like in the fourth quarter in a close game. I think context matters for those types of shots, but, you know. But you're it, really right. Honest, yeah. I hadn't thought about it in the way that you said, though, about like if he has it at the top of the key, Chris Paul's going to demand it back. Yeah. And Booker can play point guard. But Booker doesn't orchestrate the offense like that. No, he's, nobody he's not, does really. Yeah, he's not manipulative, uh, and and I think you could say also he's not demanding to the extent that Chris Paul is on offense. He's he'll let that shot fly essentially. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, I think it's been a really fascinating few games from DeAndre, and I think we saw the worst of it in their win. And maybe like a better version of it in their two losses, which I think he could be more engaged in other areas of the game, specifically that Utah game. I think he was a little bit up up in his head, which just happens occasionally with DeAndre and still a young player. I think he can be more engaged on specifically boxing out and chasing after rebounds and uh, on defense. I think there's things that he can do better. But offensively, I hope that he, along with the Suns, find ways to get him a little closer to the basket. Let's talk about another player that we just mentioned. Cameron Johnson, in the three games since Chris Paul's out, essentially 20 points per game. Right kind now. of the gem. Kind of the hidden it's, gem it's of really, this whole It's stretch. really remarkable. Really remarkable. Yeah. And I think it's not really a surprise when you think about the way that defenses are guarding Devin Booker and pick and rolls. They're either forcing it out of his hands, which often leads to corner threes because traps will leave the corner open. If you have a team that moves the ball quickly, or if they pack the paint on his drives, that means he's going to swing it out to a shooter. And that really benefits Cameron Johnson in two ways. One 46% of his threes he's making right now or whatever it is in that stretch, but also four free throw attempts per game which, by the way, in these three games, he's shooting 100% from the free throw line, uh, I think is a testament to his fearlessness in attacking closeouts or even attacking the gaps in the defense around like those pin-down screens that they set for him and just attacking the rim in those. But more than anything else, I think what's remarkable about this is without Chris Paul... He's just getting great shot after great shot after great shot. And it's just like he can be plugged in anywhere and get these shots. 19.7 points per game on 11 field goal attempts in this time. So really probably been the second most important offensive player in this stretch, right? Yeah, he's up to 18 points per game in 13 starts. That's crazy. This season, that's that's his scoring yeah. average as a starter on 72% true shooting. It is wow. remarkable, man. I mean, you and again, you heard JJ say it last week, right? Like we asked him about it, and he, he said that on 25 other teams in the NBA, this guy would be a 15 to 20 point per game score. Yeah. And I don't think even Suns fans have necessarily always believed that, right? Even like in have remember we? the have you and I? <laughs> I think if you asked me at the beginning of the season, I would have said that he would be a borderline 15 point per game guy. Yeah, like that he would be one of those fourth fifth option starters. A 20 point per game guy, no. I, I don't think I would have said that. Um, maybe on a really bad team. But now, I mean, this the script is flipping a little bit. I, I, you know, like, if you just think about that playoff run, right? As awesome as that playoff run was for Cam Johnson, and we all remember the dunk over Tucker and, you know, some other examples of kind of mid-range self-creation, the vast majority of his offense, he didn't have a ton of high-scoring games, and the vast majority of his offense was still coming from catch-and-shoot opportunities as it is now but the difference is really in the playmaking you talked about him attacking the gaps yeah he is attacking the gaps right now like <laughs> he's no he's really figured it out dude like he, he's a gap connoisseur cam johnson 26 assists to five turnovers in february the entire month of february that is a ratio right there yeah uh that like a ratio as an assist to turnover ratio of over five by the way if you can find a wing who has a good assist to turnover ratio and also has a, uh, this is the less uh, commonly quoted ratio, a steal to turnover ratio of over one. So a wing who 
play makes well and also generates more steals than they do turnovers. Cam Johnson, for the third month in a row, had more steals than he did turnovers. He's one of those wings. Those wings are worth their weight in gold. Yeah. They're really, really important. And specifically, I think the biggest thing about passing, because I've seen good flashes. I've seen literally Cam Johnson in the past when uh, when when he's been a playmaker for others. He's flashed. And then from a standstill position, he like floats it up to DeAndre Ayton or something, right? Those are most of his assists. What's the difference this month? Most of them are coming from dribble drive penetration. He's becoming a master of taking more direct kind of acute angles to the rim when he has the ball, using a head or a shoulder fake first from the perimeter, getting inside, wait for the defense to converge. And then flip it over to to a cutter, essentially, with a shovel pass mm-hmm. um, or a dump-off pass. Yeah. He's getting really, really good at that. There was one example in particular, uh, which was a little bit different, actually, in the fourth quarter of the Jazz game, where Devin Booker was being doubled down low. He had the ball by the baseline. Cam Johnson was on the opposite wing. Booker passes it out to Cam Johnson, and because the defense is scrambling, right, they're doubling Booker, which means everyone else is kind of shape-shifting, that the, the Jazz defense is scrambling. Rudy Gay has to gun it over to try and contest what normally would be a three-point shot from Cam Johnson. And in 90% of instances, I would expect this shot to go up because it's absolutely enough space for Cam Johnson to make this shot. But you can see him kind of realize as the pass is coming towards him, he decides, yeah, he's, he's going to attack the gap. He's not taking this shot. He could take this shot, but he wants to attack the space instead and see if they can get a better shot. And that's exactly what he do, uh, does. He attacks the open space. And while on the move, Hassan Whiteside converges on him. Rudy Gay converges on him. Before either of those guys can get there, he flips it back to Booker, who has now popped out for a three, gets a wide-open three. And yeah. it's just the the decisiveness with which Cam Johnson is attacking closeouts now. You have to have a certain confidence in your own ability to create offensive advantages as a slasher. And I'm never sure, or, or I'm, I'm not sure we've ever seen that level of uh, confidence in Cam Johnson until yeah. now. That's yeah. what's really exciting about this month to me. Yeah. You could say that Cameron Johnson is turning lemons into lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's <laughs> had to be done. Shout that, out. That, that's fucking awesome what they did, by the way. And yeah. shout out. I have a, I, I, it feels like it's statistically likely that at least one of our listeners would have been at that thing. A hundred percent. Shout out we, to we any have of the you most hardcore Suns fans. Right. <laughs> that, that I would imagine podcast. I would imagine there's some overlap. So if yeah. any of you were at that, it sounded like a really fun time. I hope the lemonade was actually good. I think <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, supposedly it was. I think that I call those passes that you're talking about and we talked about this in our playback stream. Uh sorry if you weren't there. I know we're talking about it a lot here, but I call those passes Jared Dudley passes because Jared Dudley <laughs> never I drove with the intention of scoring at the rim because Jared Dudley could not jump. <laughs> he was not a jumper. That meant that if Jared Dudley was driving, his head was always at the rim, right? He was facing the rim, eyes up at the rim, but was always really great at the short uh, dump-off passes into small spaces near the rim. And I think that something that Cameron Johnson, of course, can score at the rim. And Cameron Johnson also a better, he's just a better all around player than Jared Dudley. Really, Jared Dudley extremely smart, but Cameron Johnson adding that, developing that, and that means that his pump fake and drive, his attacking the closeouts. I think there's another dynamic to those that make him even more unpredictable, uh, even harder to guard. And I think that's just the type of developments uh, that he needs to make in order to make him better. It, it's actually interesting. Michael Porter Jr. is coming back for the Nuggets soon, very soon. And I just think about Michael Porter Jr. coming back, and Michael Porter Jr., uh, you know, I guess you could say is a better, he's a more audacious Food. shooter. He's, oh, yeah. Than, yeah we're than, talking about offense. Okay. Yeah, offensively, he's just a more audacious shooter than, than Cameron Johnson, but just in a vacuum. And maybe I'm insane. Maybe people will call me insane. No, I know. No, is would Cameron Johnson it. just be better for the Nuggets than Michael yes. Porter Jr., who now signed I think a max? Man, I think it's time to say it. Like 
Michael Porter Jr. You're gonna make me pull up the numbers. He's flawed. You? He's a flawed player. He's a he's a, a player that makes the thing about Cameron Johnson. I think that's important to point out in this. You talked about his assist to turnover ratio. You talked about his steal to turnover ratio, but also his ability to pick the right shots. I think has gotten so much better over the course of these last few years. It's just it all boils down to a player that never makes mistakes. He just never makes mistakes, and it's it's a remarkable thing to watch somebody who is now playing at the high level that he's playing that consistently makes the right play over and over and over and over again. Michael Porter Jr., offensive ceiling, including the ball handling, one of the highest of any player in the league as far as scoring, can't pass, can't doesn't defend. Pass. There's a difference between can't pass and doesn't pass, and, and right. the latter is MPJ's issue. So that's specifically why I'm looking at the numbers here. What's the honest ceiling of a guy? He played 61 games last year, took 15 and a half shots per 36 minutes to go along with 1.3 assists and 1.4 turnovers. What's the ceiling of a guy like that? Right. You know, I mean, we, we watch different players because one's a shooter and one's a slasher. We watch Kelly Oubre. He drove us nuts. <laughs> Only me and I've, you, though. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, I mean... He he drove a lot of Suns fans nuts right, for the record, right, right. and and I was still able to see that Kel, I would rather have Kelly Oubre than fucking late stage Jared Dudley or you know or Sonny <laughs> Weems or however yeah, many yeah, other yeah, yeah. garbage ass wings Trevor you know, Ariza, <laughs> yeah, however many other wings that were just totally washed up um, or just couldn't play the Suns had throughout the 2010s. Like Kelly Oubre is an above average player, but when it comes time to be Okay, not just a good team anymore, but we need to be one of the best teams, and the best teams share the ball. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, just like I'll be honest, I have certain reservations in talking about Denver. I have certain reservations, and this is not to draw upon the his meme status at all or whatever. But you know, there are reasons to be scared of a Denver team with a healthy Jamal Murray. Yeah, Jamal Murray's a really good player he's and a all, really smart basketball talent. player all-star who's talent. vetted. Who's vetted and has performed in the playoffs mm-hmm. before? Yeah, in the bubble. Yeah, no, I know, but but has performed at a high level in yeah. the bubble, and I I do think that counts for something. Yeah, Michael Porter Jr. between his ability to be targeted on defense and his inability to share the ball on offense, right. I just I've never had such like crisis of faith <laughs> type conversations with myself about I just I I I think that's a walking disaster. And yeah. I think a lot of other people feel the same way about his contract situation going forward. It's but yeah, insane. I think, like, I think the the Porter Jr. contract is fascinating just because it's breaking new ground. It, but it was on, unnecessary. On, on exactly, it's he 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 exists along the frontier of what is and isn't possible in the <laughs> NBA sort of contract space. Like no one's ever done it like this guy before. And and in five years, Denver could end up looking like geniuses or people are going to make fun of that contract well, he, until the end of time. The, the truth of it is no matter what, no matter what, they will not look like geniuses for the only, if only for the reason that they signed a player that was injury prone to an extension a year before they had to sign him to anything. Yeah, it was and, just completely unnecessary for no reason. And then and immediately the he gets hurt and he hasn't played essentially since then. It's It just doesn't make sense the way that they that's did the part it. Of it held that's, off um, for another year. That's a part of it that's unfortunate. I will say, like, but it, you know, it's, it's not like I'm. It's not like I'm rooting against the guy on, no, that, on yeah, those grounds. But they it's just, just, you know, restricted free agency exists for the exact reason that they did not use it. For I'm just Michael saying, Porter like, even Jr., it's just bizarre. Even if he was fully healthy, but still had the same sort of right. fundamental lack of athleticism and fundamental lack of of willingness to pass. Those are really big fucking red flags. <laughs> You'd have a lot more so. data to go off of in that case, that's for sure. Because yeah, he would have true. played a lot it's more true. games. I mean, the whole rookie year gone. He hasn't played at all this season. And even when he played in the playoffs last year, he could barely move because of his back. It's just a bizarre contract. And it is relevant in this case because we're talking about the potential of, if you will, the basketball player that is Cameron Johnson versus the skill that is Michael Porter Jr. And to what extent that affects Cameron Johnson's contract negotiations this summer when he's eligible for a contract extension. We don't have to get into it now, but if he's making the case that he is this important to a team or has this vital of an effect on their ability to win, I think those contract extension negotiations are going to be fascinating. I I don't really know how they're going to go. 
Real quick, Mike. Quick, uh, dirty stat, dirty advanced stat here. Alert, <laughs> All right. <but>. All right. <laughs> no, just, a, a, you know, we're, we're putting a number to a name and going to see, you know, I'm, I'm making no promises about how accurate the value is there, but just to see what you think. Michael Porter Jr. last year, the number on which, partially on which he earned this max contract, he had a BPM of 3.1, a VORP of 2.5 okay. last season. Okay. Cam Johnson this year has a BPM of 2.8. He has a VORP of 1.9 right? in a few less games than Michael Porter Jr. Remember, yeah. VORP is a cumulative stat, so you accumulate it as you go along, depending and, on how many minutes you've logged. And Michael um, Porter Jr. plays a lot of minutes on that team when he played. Yeah, Michael Porter Jr. last season played 1,900 minutes. Cam Johnson is currently at 1,500, and there's a pretty small difference in VORP there. Um, just by that advanced stat alone, I mean, you can make an argument that they're the same player, not that they're the same player in the way that they look on the court, but that they're, according to this stat, it's about the same level of value there. And that really makes you wonder what Cam Johnson's uh, agent is thinking right now. Too. Is he going to get more? I think the question at this point now, first of all, he has to keep this up for the rest of the season. Of course, have a good showing facts in the playoffs, yes. which he did last year. But the question at this point now, is he is he going to get more than Mikael Bridges? That's That's actually the question that we might have to ask. I mean, if he continues to to display this level of offensive aggression that just doesn't seem to exist within Mikael Bridges in yeah. s- for sustained time. I mean, that's exactly time. the relevant part of this conversation, you know? Because mm-hmm. even in that same time where he's averaging 20, Mikael Bridges is averaging 13. Now, Mikael Bridges has still been extremely important in these games in that when he's on the court, the Suns are so much better. Uh, but yeah, the difference, I think, being that Offense gets you paid. <laughs> it really gets you paid. And 19 points a game and 13 points a game, that's a dramatic difference when it comes to an agent who understands how every PPG, if you will, increases the total amount of your contract at the very end, maybe even the number of zeros at the end of it. And yeah, I, I look, we have a lot of time to get into this in, in a whole playoffs and hopefully NBA finals between now and then. But I do, I do think that Cameron Johnson's agent is taking a lot of notes that he's going to bring up in those contract negotiations and probably and including pointing out the amount that Mikael Bridges is making and saying this is the baseline of what we can potentially get here which if you want to ask now does that make the contract negotiations for DeAndre Ayton complicated yeah it kind of does it really does and we saw this coming from a mile away and sometimes that's why it's good to get guys on contracts ahead of time. But we got time to talk about that later. Is there anything Once else? Once upon a time. Yes. Once upon a time, Lon Babby infamously offered one lump sum of money <laughs> to Mark Keefe and Marcus Morris combined. Yeah, we do have twins now, yeah. And if we're going to invoke the nickname Twin Time, <laughs> then perhaps James Jones must follow suit. <laughs> So we'll 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 see what happens with those two, but I have a feeling the numbers are gonna they're probably gonna fall in line and be pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, I have a feeling they might even try to negotiate the exact same contract, which would be fascinating. At that point, do you keep Cameron Johnson on the bench, making that much money? It's an interesting question to ask. But uh, all right, we don't have to get in too much about Mikael Bridges. I'll just quickly say, Aaron Holiday maybe has come back to the ground a little bit uh, because. There is just a little more weight put on his shoulders. It seems pretty... He's still done well, I want to just mention, that he's still, I think, playing pretty well. Um, and it's ju- it's just pretty clear at this point, even though he was injured for one of the two games, I think it's pretty clear that he is now ahead of Alfred Payton in the rotation, something we talked about before All-Star break. Now it's like pretty... like It's secured. He's ahead of that. I think the question is, how far ahead of Landry Shamit is he right now? I think without point guards, of course, he's going to get more minutes. The question is when Chris Paul's healthy, when Cameron Payne is healthy, can Aaron Holiday play with those guys on the floor with as small as he is? What do you think? Yeah, I think he can. With Cameron Payne, I I think think is interesting, right? I I don't know about Chris Paul yet. I mean, defensively, I think that would be interesting to see. Oftentimes, Chris Paul is hidden on a wing anyway, so maybe it could work in that scenario, but I don't know. We'll see more attempts to target them uh, 
like them, I'm speaking as a tandem, kind right. of if you played Aaron the Holiday small and, guards, Cam, right? and campaign together. Yeah, you'll see more more attempts at that. But you know what? Like, we're 60 games in. I've given Landry plenty of chances. And it hasn't materialized, man. And you're trying to win a championship. Yeah. You're not going to... They're not going to be aggressive on the buyout market. Let's not kid ourselves. So you got to try all possible combinations. And if you think Aaron Holiday and campaign could be the guard rotation yeah. um, from a backup standpoint, then you got to try it. All right. Good stuff, Sam. I appreciate us having the time to really dig in to some stats on these actual games that are going on. Hopefully, dear God, hopefully we get Cameron Payne back soon. I think Cameron Payne just makes everything make a lot more sense. So hope he feels good soon. We'll be back with a Patreon episode after this game on Wednesday, probably Thursday sometime. We'll drop that episode and then back to your regularly scheduled programming next week. If you'd like additional episodes, you can sign up at patreon.com slash the timeline. We also do watch parties where you can watch the games with us. We're going to continue doing those likely for the next few months, maybe up until a few games into the playoffs. We'll see how it goes, but we appreciate you guys and we will be back very soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.